Welcome to Sundays at Coastal. Pastor Paul shares a story about Zach and his meeting with Jesus. Zach isn't the kind of person you would expect Jesus to spend time with, let alone seek out. Not only does Jesus invite himself to Zach's house at the end of the evening, Jesus declares Zach as a true son of Abraham. Listen in as Pastor Paul explains what mercy and redemption look like in God's inverted kingdom. This weekend, we gave Andy a weekend off too. So y'all got me this morning. Can we? You don't have to clap. Wait till after this sermon, then you'll know. This week, um, before we start, uh, we always start our Alpha film series with a question. If you could ask God anything, if there was a God and you could ask God anything, what would it be? And um, one of our courageous guests said, how can an all-powerful, loving God allow the devastation in Ukraine? Innocent people. I see a lot of heads saying, yeah. And we just, on Alpha especially, we just honor honest questions. And we say, yeah, you're not alone. Can we pray for Ukraine right now? Lord God. You see the devastation. And we ask for an ending of the violence in Jesus' name. And we we ask that you protect the vulnerable today, right now. Protect the vulnerable. Be with the 10 million refugees that are trying to rebuild their lives. Show us how we can make a difference, Lord. Bring justice. Bring peace. Lord, hear our prayers. And everyone said, Amen. 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 So, guests, we want to tell you what we believe in three words. Number one, we believe that there's hope beyond this world's mess and my mess. Amen? Amen. There's hope beyond our brokenness. And that hope is not an idea or a strategy, or kind of a technique. That hope is grounded in a person, and his name is Jesus. And he was crucified and raised from the dead. In four weeks, we celebrate that, by the way. Can you believe it? And that he is so worth trusting with the full weight of your life. You can trust him. He is the way and the life. That means he can bear the weight of your way your life and your longing for purpose and meaning and value and direction. And he invites us to join him in his restoration work in this broken world. And uh, those, that good news sets us free to make everyday choices. Would you please say these with me? I choose to be a disciple of Jesus today. Disciple is one who walks intentionally with God. Therefore, I choose to be changed by Jesus. I choose to seek Jesus first. I choose to join Jesus in restoration. And right now, Father, King Jesus, you are welcome in this space. You're welcome in this room. You're welcome in our bodies, our affections, our imaginations. You're welcome. You're welcome here. King Jesus. Right now, we choose to let you change us. Right now, we choose to seek you first. Among all the competing 
voices in our heads right now. We give, we give way to your voice. And we pray that you would send us out of this place ready to join you in your resurrection work in this broken world. Please, Holy Spirit, do this morning what only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Jesus said, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for such to such belong the kingdom of God. Can I share a favorite Bible story with you this morning? It's from the Beginner's Bible, which I used raising my kids some 400 years ago. And I just, it's my favorite Bible story book. It's, it's about a small man. You see, Zacchaeus was a man who took tax money from people. Everybody say, ooh. It's always good to have sound effects when you tell Bible stories. Tax money was what they had to pay to their king. But Zacchaeus took more money than he was supposed to. He kept it to make himself rich, and nobody liked him. You guys are awesome. One day, Jesus was passing by his town. Everyone went, yeah. Yeah. I love it. Yes. Everyone went to see Jesus. Even Zacchaeus went to see Jesus. But Zacchaeus had a problem. He was short. There was a song back in the 70s about short people, right? Yes, <laughs> I'm talking to Chris. Yeah. Hi, my name's Chris. I'm short. Everyone was in his way. He could not see. Then Zac Zacchaeus had an idea. He, if you guys are watching online, you won't believe the sound effects that are going on in this place right now. He ran ahead of all the people. He climbed a tall tree. He had found the perfect place to watch Jesus. And he could see all the people coming. When Jesus got... I love that picture. That's my favorite picture. When Jesus got to the tree, he stopped. He looked up at Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, he said, come down right away. I need to stay at your house today. Zacchaeus scrambled down. Jesus wanted to stay with him. He took Jesus to his house. By the way, all the crowd says, I can't believe Jesus wants to be with that scum. But he said to Jesus, I want to do what's right. I give back all the money I took to make me rich. Jesus was pleased. Zacchaeus had chosen to do the right thing. <laughs> you guys are amazing. You're better than my own kids. So why is this story so beloved by children? Oh, man, on so many levels. First of all, kids can relate to little people's stories to not be able to see beyond the adults when the parade passes by and kids love climbing trees. This story is full of humor and irony, a little fat rich man who wants to see Jesus. 
You see, Jesus has been on a long road trip with his disciples over the last 10 chapters in the Gospel of Luke. Isn't Luke amazing? Scholars call this section a travel narrative. From his glorification on the Mount of Transfiguration in chapter 9 onward, Jesus has been, it says he set his face toward Jerusalem where he will be enthroned on another mountain, but not the way people expect. He will be enthroned on Calvary on a cross. And along the way, Jesus has sought out all the little people, the marginalized, the social outcasts, the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame, the beggars, the lepers, the widows, the children, the Samaritans, the ex-prostitutes, and notorious tax collectors. He even makes some of them the heroes of his stories. Luke shows us that little people are being brought into the very center of what God is doing. Is that cool? Luke offers us an inverted gospel announcing a subversive kingdom in which everything is turned upside down and inside out. Are you ready to unpack this story with Zacchaeus? Let's read. I will read this part. Then Zacchaeus entered and walked through Jericho. There was a man there. His name was Zacchaeus, the head tax man, and quite rich. This is from the message, by the way. He wanted desperately to see Jesus, but the crowd was in his way. He was a short man and couldn't see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed up in a sycamore tree so he could see Jesus when he came by. How many of you guys have been on I-5 South from Bakersfield area through the town of Grapevine before going up the grade? Yeah. Well, Jericho was a first century town of Grapevine. It was the final truck stop before the grade up to Jerusalem. I've been there. On a mission to get to Jerusalem, Jesus passes right through Jericho, but the crowds still are following him on the outskirts of Grapevine. Zacchaeus scopes out a tree in advance where he can get a view of Jesus. The irony is this. Just picture it. Jeff Bezos scopes out a tree on Colorado Boulevard in Pasadena to get a view of the Rose Parade. (laughs) Rich men don't climb trees to see parades, amen? Rich men have privileged front row seats in the central bandstand. And rich men in the ancient Near East especially don't climb trees. So Luke specifically names the tree, a sycamore fig tree. I consulted my horticulture professor friend at Cal Poly on this. I just wanted you to know that. He said that the tree outside Jericho is not the tree we normally call a sycamore in California. It's actually a ficus sycamorus. Can you say that with me? Which is more like a fig tree. It's low to the ground, it has wide branches, and easy to hide in those leaves. This is a ficus sycamorus in Egypt. And this is key for Zacchaeus because it allows him to get a glimpse of Jesus without being seen by the crowd. But Jesus doesn't let him remain anonymous. Y'all in the back rows? 
he doesn't let you either. When Jesus got to the tree, he looked up and said, can we call him Zach for now on? Zach, hurry down. Today's my day to be a guest in your home. Zach scrambled out of the tree, hardly believing his good luck, delighted to take Jesus home with him. Jesus sees Zach and calls him by name. You see, he hasn't accepted the hospitality of the important religious leaders in Jericho and ancient Israel. This decline of hospitality by the important people in town is a profound shame in ancient Near Eastern culture. Instead, Jesus invites him over for dinner to be the guest of the most notorious sinner in town, the chief tax collector. Zach says, Jesus says, Zach, I must stay at your house. Jesus talks as if this is a divine appointment. Are you with me? Must. It's not mere coincidence. There's a difference between coincidence an accidental meeting, and a purposeful God moment. Can I tell you a coincidence story from my life? Uh, this is not necessarily a God moment, but I have to share it because uh, our minister of... Uh, Rob, what's your title? Minister of... Miracle. Yes, Chronicler of Miracles. That's our bookkeeper, Chronicler of Miracles. <laughs> He's constantly going, I can't believe it. Um, he celebrated his 45th uh, anniversary this week and got to go to, uh, yeah, got to go to Catalina. And it, re it reminded me of this incident um, when Kathy and I were newly married and living in rather humble means, we had to be creative about our vacations. And I was a campus pastor at San Diego State, go Aztecs. Um, and I had a really good relationship with the leaders of the inner varsity uh, group, and they had a camp in Catalina, and I thought, maybe I can leverage my contacts and we can actually stay in Catalina for free. Um, and so I'm, 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 I'm lining this up. They said, great, we'd love to have you. So I call Catalina. It's a little campground in Catalina Island. And I, yeah, I said, this is Paul Dugan. I wanted to call about um, using the camp. And he said, oh, Paul, your dad's here. He's been waiting for you. My dad had been dead by, for 10 years at that time. Your dad's here. Yes, he's been waiting for you. He's right here right now. And I'm just literally going, what is happening? It turns out there was a Garth Dugan waiting for his son, Paul Dugan, who was a campus pastor in Sacramento at that very moment at this little campground in Catalina. Do the math. <laughs> and he was the nicest guy. The whole camp, I called him dad, by the way. <laughs> He was hilarious. Um, well, that's a coincidence, like on a pretty, you may call that a God moment, but I call it a coincidence on a mega level. Jesus said, I must spend the night at your home. That was more than a coincidence on the road out of Grapevine. You guys with me? This is a divine appointment. I must stay at your house. But everyone in the crowd 
saw the incident and they were indignant and grumped. I love the message translation. Can you say it with me in a grumpy way? And be the, what do they say? You see, the townspeople react to, to Jesus inviting himself over with disgust. How could Jesus do this? I mean, think about it. A chief tax collector in first century Israel was like a Bernie Madoff who cheated his own people with a multi-level Ponzi scheme. But even worse than Madoff, Zach collected revenue for the despised occupation force. What was it? The Roman Empire. The hated Roman Empire. As a, and get this. He, he was seen as a corrupt traitor who was an active part of the systemic injustice of his society. Only wealthy Jews could win contracts to collect taxes from the local Roman authorities. And as a chief tax collector, he had several levels of cronies working under him, and everyone took a cut. Are you with me? It's kind of like a major multi-level marketing scheme. The higher you were in the system, the bigger the cut. And so all his fellow Jews saw his, him building these additions onto his mansion and driving his Mercedes chariot. And, and, and they're seeing that's our money. The chief tax collector was one of the worst listed in the Jewish sinner lists. Right up there with robbers, adulterers, and pimps. All of whom were excommunicated from synagogues. They were seen as the scum of the earth. You could call Zach the town's least likely to be saved. <laughs> Do you have anybody like that in your life? Ken Bailey, an expert in ancient Middle Eastern culture, says the people actually expected Jesus to look up and call him out and say, Zach, you're a collaborator. You're an oppressor to these good people. You've drained the economic lifeblood of your own people and given it to the imperialists. You have betrayed your country and your God. You'd expect Jesus to say that, right? Instead, he invites himself over to Zach's for dinner. It's hard to express how controversial this visit was. Jesus is again risking his whole reputation by associating with the wrong people in town. And this is what I call costly grace. Jesus was paying a price for spending time with Zacchaeus. You see, the Jews expected a Messiah who was going to come and deliver Israel from such oppression. Notice, however, that Jesus neither endorses the oppression nor ostracizes the oppressor. Jesus saw straight through his layers of graft and greed, his callous contempt for his fellow citizens, and he knew the real issue was a sickness of the heart, which he alone has the remedy because he is the way, the truth, and the life. And so the next scene, between verse 7 and 8, I wish I could have been a fly on the wall in Zacchaeus' dining room. Don't you? I mean, can you imagine his family's there? We don't know what was said during the visit. I think the, the family was just speechless. Like, 
there's got to be a catch here. <laughs> Imagine it. I mean, the conversation that took place there. All we know is that this man, Zach, his life is transformed. Amen? He is transformed by the unexpected grace of Jesus. Luke says this in verse 8. Zacchaeus just stood there a little stunned. He stammered apologetically. Can you read this part? Master. And if I'm caught cheating, I pay four times for the damages. Zach's first step in his discipleship journey with Jesus was an act of extravagant repentance related to his way of acquiring and using his wealth and to his relationship to the vulnerable in the community that he lived. Costly grace bears fruit, resulting in costly repentance. And it was repentance of both sins of omission and sins of commission. He repented of his sins of commission, which is the acts active cheating of others, and he repented of, of his sin of omission, of neglecting the needs of the poor. Are you with me there? The Levitical law required repayment of 120% for stolen goods. Zach pledges 400%. This is extravagant, costly grace. Jesus said, today, is salvation day in this home. Isn't that beautiful? Don't you want that said over your home? Here he is, Zacchaeus, son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to find and restore the lost. Can you read that with me? That is gospel. Today is salvation day in this home. Here he is, Zacchaeus, son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to find and restore the lost. I love, Jesus gives a public declaration that salvation has come to this home. You see, salvation is not a concept, an idea, or a technique. Salvation is a person, and his name is Jesus, and he came to Zacchaeus' home. Salvation for Jesus is so much more than praying a prayer so that I can get to heaven after I die. Jesus' grace awakens Zach to a new reality. He now knows that no one can be privately righteous while participating in and profiting from a program that robs and crushes other persons. Amen? The Jewish understanding of salvation was totally connected to the Exodus story. Liberation from slavery. Salvation is the Father putting the whole of my life right and the whole of his creation right through his son. Zach's God was money. He was enslaved to it. And his enslavement put many of his own townspeople in economic bondage. You see how that spreads out? Jesus' salvation provided a dramatic de deliverance from the lies that defined his value and worth by his wealth and power. And his deliverance resulted in economic relief within his community. Salvation is a big deal. Jesus could have said, today salvation has come to this whole town. Personal transformation, friends, leads to social transformation. Jericho was never the same. 
And I pray, may the Central Coast never be the same because of the transformation he's doing in your life. Can you say amen to that? I've been praying since I've been here for the last four years. King Jesus, cause a disciple-making movement to grow across our region. A movement that changes the social, the moral, and the spiritual fabric of our communities, our neighborhoods, our governments, our hospitals, our businesses, and our schools, and allow us to be a part of that movement. Can you say amen to that? You see, guys, the gospel has profound economic implications. Throughout Luke, <laughs> Jesus is announcing a very countercultural kingdom that dethrones the gods of money and success. A gospel that lifts up and gives dignity to the poor and the vulnerable. Get out a pen, because here's just a few of the verses in Luke that he mentions. <laughs> That's just a few. There's more. This is just the Gospel of Luke. When I did a concordance on wealth and poverty, I found almost 40 different passages in the Gospel of Luke, friends. A relationship with Jesus changes our relationship with our wealth. Note how Jesus' grace led Zach to put his house in an order it was a process with three steps that I see. First, Zach stopped stealing. Can you say amen to that? He turned from all unjust, unethical business practices. Like, he stopped something. Secondly, he made things right, making radical restitution for his, his extortion. And thirdly, you guys know what he did? Thirdly, he went beyond just repair he committed to active and radical generosity within his community. There's three steps. He stopped stealing. Secondly, he made things right, restitution. And thirdly, he committed to a new posture within his community of generosity. And this is costly grace. One of my heroes is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer knew costly grace. He paid the ultimate price for his loyalty to Jesus as Lord, as a part of the resistance movement in Nazi Germany. Bonhoeffer was in the minority, sadly. Many German Christians saw their evangelical faith as a private matter that had nothing to do with their nation's terrible injustices. It was just a small minority that said, no, Hitler is not Lord, Jesus is Lord, and they paid with their life. They knew it was wrong, but they kept silent. On April 9th, 1945, Bonhoeffer was executed by Hitler in the Flossenburg concentration camp, just weeks before the Allied soldiers arrived. In his classic work, The Cost of Discipleship, Bonhoeffer shook the world with these words. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Grace without discipleship, grace without the cross. Grace is costly because it cost God the life of his son. You were brought with a price. And what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. Grace changes everything, friends. Your relationship with Jesus transforms your relationship 
with everything, with your time, with your money, with your body, with your work, with your sexuality, with your family, and with the vulnerable in your community. You see, Jesus is not satisfied in just being your Savior. He insists on being your Lord. And not just your Lord, but he insists on being the Lord of this universe. I love this quote by the great Dutch theologian Abraham Kuyper, who said, there's not a square inch in the whole domain, domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry mine. You see, with King Jesus, there's no sacred secular divide in your life. All of life belongs to him. Your business practice to him matters as much as your worship practice. That's a good place to say amen. amen. Especially if you're a business person. It's all sacred ground. It's all under King Jesus' loving and liberating authority. And so let's zoom out. In the story of the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is on his last stop, remember, at Grapevine, before going up to Jerusalem, where he will be rejected, betrayed, tortured, and enthroned on a cross, where he will give his life in love for a lost world. There he will literally draw all the powers of evil and injustice upon himself and ambush darkness by taking it to his death and breaking its power. Is that good news? That evil is ambushed on the cross. And three days later, he will be raised to life. Until then, Jesus is full of surprises. He continues to be a friend of sinners, a shepherd who is on a mission to seek and save and transform the lost. And so what happens, friends, when Jesus comes to your house? When Jesus comes to your house, salvation comes to your house. Amen? Jesus brings a, a new exodus. You are set free from the idols that hold you captive and burden those under your influence. When Jesus comes to your house, you belong. Jesus turns outcasts into sons and daughters in the new family of Abraham. What did he say publicly about Zach? This is a true son of Abraham. Jesus turns outcasts into sons and daughters. You no longer need to prove yourself by what you own or achieve or accomplish. Amen? And when Jesus comes to your house, he changes your affections and desires. Jesus changes your relationship with everything. Your money, your possessions, your time, everything. You're set free to love people and use things rather than loving things and using people. You're set free to join Jesus in his mission as he seeks to save lost people in your world. By the way, can I commend a, a, a spiritual practice? Try this. Go home today and make a Zacchaeus list. This is based on Luke 19.10. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. It's a prayer list of those least likely to be saved in your life, <laughs> at least from a human perspective. Include the names of friends, family members, neighbors, work associates, classmates that you would consider the farthest from God who are currently the least interested in or open to the gospel. I, I'm in a DNA group, a small group with a group of guys, and we did a Zacchaeus list. And I said, no, no, not just the safe people who are close to the kingdom. 
pick people in your life that you would never dream would follow Jesus. And we are now praying for each other's least likely list. And we're already seeing divine appointments just busting out all over the place as we pray for those people. There may be a Zacchaeus in a tree on the road of your life this week. Will you see him? Will you see her the way Jesus sees them? Today's passage is all about costly grace, how Jesus risks his reputation to seek and save each of us. As he sees Zach and calls him by name, Jesus sees you and calls you by name, and he sees the lost in your world. This is amazing. Imagine, just for a moment, close your eyes, picture yourself climbing a tree to get a glimpse of Jesus as he's passing by. Like in the Bible story, picture. You're trying to remain anonymous up there, but Jesus stops in the midst of the crowd and looks up. Can you see him? He's got a smile on his face. What are you doing up there, dear rich man? He sees you. He knows your name. He says, Kilo, I must be a guest at your home today. He says, Gary. He says, Bob, I must be at home. Guest at your home today. Can you hear him? Will you invite him in? Will you open yourself up to his extravagant grace? Will you invite him to put your house in order? Or will you say, oh, thanks, but no thanks. I'd rather like staying up here in my tree, being a spectator. Maybe some other time, Jesus. This is an opportunity for a gospel exchange moment. This is what we call bad out, good in. If you'd like to join me in experiencing the transforming, extravagant grace of Jesus, I invite you. I will read this prayer, and then you can read it after me if you'd like to make this exchange Lord Jesus, I reject the lie that my value and success is measured by what I own, what I accumulate, or what I achieve. I reject the lie that my value I declare the truth that my value and worth is grounded in you, Jesus, and your gracious Call on my life. Praise your name. Just call in my life. Praise your name. I reject the lie that I can have a relationship with you, Jesus, without having my priorities reordered by you. I declare the truth that my relationship with you, Jesus, will change every other relationship in my life. So I choose to trust you. I trust that you are good. I trust that the change, your changes in my life are for my good. For the good of my neighbor and my community. Oh, Lord Jesus, you're amazing. You are amazing.
You're so worth knowing and loving and following with not just a corner of our lives, but with the whole. We ask that we would taste your extravagant grace and that it would bear fruit in extravagant repentance that would literally change the social, moral, and spiritual fabric of this central coast. And we pray that you would get all the glory. And everyone said, amen. Let's continue to worship. can stand if you'd like. We bow our hearts, we bend our knees, oh Spirit, come make us humble. Turn our eyes from evil things. Oh Lord, we cast down our idols. Give us clean hands, give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another. Give us clean hands, give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another. Give us clean hands. Give us clean hands. Give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another. Give us clean hands. Give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another God let us be a generation that sees and seeks your face oh God of Jacob God let us be a generation that sees and seeks your face oh God of Jacob things I get to do here at Coastal is create discipleship resources for you to kind of implement the gospel into more and more of your life. And so I've, every week we prepare a conversation study guide on the sermon to help you kind of do what Jesus said, which is 
The person who hears my words and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock to help you build your foundation and wrestle with what, like if this is true, what the pastor just said, what difference does it make in my life? We use this at Table Talk. We have small groups. Table Talk is a gathering uh, which across the street meets at 1040 to unpack the sermon together with coffee. But you can also use this in a small group or in your own quiet time or in your family. And if you email me, this will come to your inbox every week. Uh, I'm Pastor Paul at mycoastal.org. That's my advertisement. May I just speak a blessing over you and please come for prayer. If we can stand with you here at front in prayer. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the koinonia of the Holy Spirit, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with y'all. Amen. Have a blessed day, beautiful day. Pastor Paul Dugan is the pastor of Mission and Discipleship at Coastal Community Church. It's located in Grover Beach, California and serves communities across the Central Coast. Join us online each week on Sunday morning at 9 a.m. for our weekly live stream. We also have two in-person services at 9 a.m. and 1040 a.m. in our sanctuary. Coastal Community Church is located at 1830 Farrell Road, Grover Beach, California. For more information, visit our website, www.mycoastal.org. Thanks for joining us, and I hope you have a great week.